so excited today because today is the start of something new, something the Father has been putting in my heart for a while, but now I finally feel like he's saying it's time and it's the time for us to go and dig into the book of Acts. Welcome to the Acts series. In this series of videos, we're going to be going from the book of Acts, from the first to the last chapter, and we're going to be highlighting, discussing, digging deep into this book to unearth the early church. What that did that early church look like? And what can we learn from that? What is supposed to be normal in Christianity? And, you know, I, my hope is for you on this journey to come to the same kind of realization that I came when I really dug into the book of Acts for the first time. Because see, when I did, I looked around me after reading it and I asked myself the question, why is no one doing this stuff? You know, I, I, because where I was at in that point of my life, I was certainly not seeing any of the stuff I was reading in the Bible, in this book of Acts, especially in my life. And I wasn't seeing the lives of other people around me. And that really, really bothered me. And this set me on a journey of seeking some of the things that the book of Acts teaches us. And as I saw that the father came and brought me many of the things that I sought out. And I really hope for a hunger to be stirred in you for the very same things, because I think that's what the book of Acts is all about. It's all about showing us that there is something that the father has deposited in this generation, in this period of time we're living in, in the realm of history. And it's something that we shouldn't let us pass us by. All right. So um, as we dig into this book, now, there's a few things I'd like you to just keep in mind. The purpose of this study is, like I mentioned, for us to really get a deeper understanding of the normal bodily functions, if you will, of Christ's body. That is his church, his people, the believers. You see, when we talk about normal bodily function, we are by definition speaking about what does a healthy body look like. If you go to a doctor, he's trying to figure out how can he have you have normal bodily function? How can he have you be healthy? And I want to express to you that that's what this book is about. It is showing us what is normal bodily function for the body of Christ, which is his people. Okay, that's what we're going to do. And then we're going to try and understand the role of something new that God is introducing to us. We're going to discover what is that new thing that he is giving his people in from uh, after Christ's resurrection onwards. And how does that interact with the lives of believers? And then I want to also just highlight one thing and that this is going to be a a highlighting of sorts of, of aspects. We're not going to be able to go through every single verse in the book of Acts because there's a lot of them. But we are going to be going through the main themes, the most important um, aspects of this book. So I encourage you to not treat this as a replacement for your own studies, but as a supplement to it. Uh, I want you to also in your spare time, go and read through the book of Acts as you join me in this. That's the best way that you're going to get the most out of this. And so some of the stories in the book of Acts, 
that I wanted to highlight amongst others that we're going to be looking at in this series is the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, healings, signs, and wonders throughout the book, the story of Ananias and Zephira, the first martyr and persecutions throughout the book, Paul's ravaging of the church and then his subsequent conversion, Peter's vision, the Gentile relationship with the law, and then many accusations of breaking God's law that were brought to the disciples. And what, how, what does that teach us about our relationship with God's law today? All right, so I think it's time for us to just dig right in. In Acts 1 verse 1, I'm going to start reading for us and we're going to see. Okay, in the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. Okay, hold up. Well, you know, first things first, we need to ask ourselves, okay, what are these commands that were given through the Holy Spirit that Yeshua, that Jesus gave us at the day that he was taken up? In Mark 16, verse 15, we can look at the day of his resurrection and we can see what were the commands he gave because they would be pretty important, right? I mean, if he's going to resurrect and he's going to be like, okay, I'm going now. The next time I see you face to face, it's going to be in the kingdom of God. So by the way, just before I go, here's a few things I want you to know. Okay, that you would assume that that would be very important, right? And so when we read it, we see, Mark 16, 15, and he said to them, go into all the world and proclaim the gospel to the whole creation. Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved, but whoever does not believe will be condemned. And these signs will accompany those who believe. In my name, they will cast out demons, speak in new tongues. They will pick up new serpents with their hands. If they drink any deadly poison, it won't hurt them. And they will lay their hands on the sick and they will recover. So the Lord Jesus, after he had spoken to them, was taken up into heaven, sat down at the right hand of God, and they went out and preached everywhere while the Lord worked with them and confirmed the message by accompanying signs. Okay, so this is very, very powerful. Uh, He is basically laying out the gospel to them. He's saying, if you are baptized and you believed, you will be saved. If you do not believe, you will be condemned. Okay, this is the basic gospel message repentance baptism belief right all these things are important for our lives and those who do not believe will not receive salvation okay but then he goes on and he says and if you believe okay you 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 receive salvation you receive you inherit it from yeshua then there's going to be a natural thing that starts happening in you in this time and this era of people having a relationship with God, there is going to be outward signs like never before. Okay. And he says they will cast out demons, speak in new tongues, lay their hands on the sick and they will recover. These are some of the things I want to submit to you. There's going to be even more amazing things that happen and we will be discovering them as we go on. But we start seeing that there are these supernatural, crazy things. Yeshua says, this is the sign of a of believers. Now, this is interesting because these things are impossible. 
And, and what I mean is that, you know, okay, if I just tell you how you go cast out demons, you'll be like, well, what, how do I do that? That sounds scary. Well, you've got a ton of questions about that already. If, and if I ask you to, to go and heal the sick, you know, obviously you're like, well, what do you mean heal the sick? I mean, we have doctors, we have physicians, we have hospitals. They do that stuff. You're asking me, a normal person, to go and heal the sick people? Like, what that's, what's that about? And, and you say, speak a new tongue. So, well, I don't know any new tongues. How do I speak a new tongues? Like, do I need to go to university to, to learn them? Well, what, what do you mean, speak a new tongues, right? We have all these immediate questions because he's telling us that there will be these things that come out of us, but these things are so foreign to us by nature. Isn't that strange? Because see, at, at its foundation, we need to understand that these things are not going to be of us. They're not going to be things that, that come from us. They're going to be things that come from him and flow through us. And so what we need to understand and, and realize and figure out is, is how do we have that kind of relationship with him where these things start flying through us? And, and, what what is there on our part that we need to do? Because of course, while it is empowered by him, that doesn't mean we don't do anything for those things to come about. Just like Moses, when he split the sea, well, it was actually God who split the sea, of course. But Moses still had to do a bunch of things to get to that point. And it was all backed by faith. Faith was at the foundation of it all. And so it is with Anything that we do by his Holy Spirit, including speaking your tongues, cause our demons and laying hands on the sick and seeing them recover, amongst other things. Okay. And so the last thing that I want to mention that's very interesting about this is he's saying it says after he had spoken to them this, he was taken up into heaven. So this was the last thing he basically told them before he left. And he and it says that they went and they did these things. And as the Lord did this among them, it confirmed the message. Okay, this is huge. He's saying that the truth that they were proclaiming was being confirmed by the signs they were performing. Now, many people have said today, you know, we don't need those signs anymore because we have we have the Bible, right? And the Bible is sufficient. But see, they had the Bible inside of them and they had the Torah and prophets written down as well back then. But they still figured that they needed signs and wonders to confirm the message. Because see, what the world needs is not just another history lesson, because we can we can take history to them. We can tell them this is what happened in history. And that is so important. But they won't be interested in that unless you can prove to them they need to be. You see, you can tell them about the historical event of the resurrection, that that is the most important thing to ever happen to the world. And it is. But what's in it for them? Oh, yeah, but you can tell them, okay, this and this and this is what you're going to get. This is how. But you see, there was something more that the disciples and Yeshua himself and the father figured was necessary than simple mere arguments and, and of men, debating and wisdom of men. Those things are important, very important. But the father didn't just take Mo, give Moses wisdom. He didn't just give Moses understanding. He didn't even just give, give Moses the Torah. Those things are all amazing and gifts from the father. But he gave Moses a staff. 
And he said, Moses, with this staff, you will go and you will perform these miracles, which I will empower you to do. But you need to only believe in me. And that was necessary. If you go read the story, if that doesn't happen, Israel's not going to want to come out because they're not going to trust Moses is actually sent by God, number one. And number two, Pharaoh is not going to let Israel go. Right? So we have this as an example, very how it shows us how important these signs and wonders were for Moses. But now we are today here and how can we then say those things aren't important anymore when Moses found it important, Yeshua found it important, Yeshua's disciples found it important, the 72 elders that Yeshua sent out found it important, and then we have early church writings of church fathers who found it important, who are saying, people are being delivered, people are being healed, the dead is being raised, and it's amazing, and people are coming to faith by it. They deemed it important. But now we come and we say, no, we just, we just, don't need that stuff. That Why do we say that? Oftentimes we say that because of our unbelief. Because, well, we prayed. It didn't happen the way we thought. Whatever happened, our experience didn't line up the way we thought it should with the Bible. And so we have to come up with an excuse and a reason to say, well, it's not for today anymore. And all those guys were telling you it's for today and you should do it. And they're just deceivers. And, and some, you know, some people have twisted his word. Some t- people have twisted and try to... Uh, manipulate and there have there have been people who have done false signs and wonders and there have been all these horrible things that have been done in the name of Jesus but should those things take us away from his holy spirit if if pharaoh pharaoh's sorcerers magicians they came and they 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 also had this their snakes facing moses's snake right remember that story but if we see that, all going to be like, oh, no, Pharaoh, he has snakes too. That means that, that even the work of the Holy Spirit through Moses must all be fake. Oh, no, we just we don't want to do any, have anything to do with any of that stuff. No, we won't, we won't do that. Because we understand that the enemy has counterfeits. The enemy does things. Why? Because he wants to confuse us. He wants us to be turned away from the real, beautiful, powerful, magnificent, needed works of the Holy Spirit in our lives. And don't let him succeed in yours. And that's why we're looking at this book today, because we want to realize and see what is it supposed to look like for us. Okay, so let's read on verse six. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? And he said to them, it is not for you to know the times or seasons that the father has fixed by his own authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Okay, this is really awesome. So we're seeing that he first, the the disciples are coming to him and they're asking him, will you at this time come and restore your kingdom, right? And and that's really what we all have hoped and looked forward to, right? Is for him to restore his kingdom. Many people even have today asked, um, why? what's taking him so long? You know, why is he not back yet? Why did he leave? I mean, why did he have to leave and ascend? And, you know, why couldn't he have just right then when he, he came the first time, 
finished it all. You know, he set up his kingdom and in Jerusalem, become the king of the world. And we wouldn't have all the mess of things we have today. I mean, that sounds very like, why didn't you do that? Again, that's really what they're kind of asking. Are you going to do that? And he says this. It's not for you to know the times or seasons that the father will do these things. And, and this is another thing I want to mention by this is that, you know, what's interesting is their questioning of will you bring your kingdom is really what a lot of us have been asking and or are interested in today. If I go on YouTube, I go on on, you know, anywhere where teachings are and people are so interested in the end times and when he is going to come back. That's all that that's the most most popular search term regarding Bible teachings out there is what's when is he going to come back? What does the future look like? But rarely do we actually ask, what am I supposed to do right now? Like we're very concerned with the future and we're also very concerned with the past, what happened. And, and these are all important things. Don't get me wrong. But we, we're less concerned with, okay, but what am I now in front of me, this present time, what am I supposed to do? And this is, I want to submit to you what Yeshua is actually telling the disciples is you're looking to the future. When is it going to happen? I am telling you, you're not going to know, but focus on the present. That's what he's saying, because he says now, but you will receive power when the spirit comes upon you, which is going to be in like a few weeks, you know, at this moment when he's saying this. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. Focus on what I'm giving you right now. <laughs> That's his message. You know, I'm not saying we, we can't ask, we can't study end times, I'm not, I'm not, but I'm saying his message is, yeah, it's cool. That's cool. But make sure that you're extremely focused on this thing. And it's interesting because this is actually the outline of the book of Acts. When he's saying you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, that is the book of Acts chapter two to seven. That's basically what the out the, the table of contents is, is, is chapter two to seven is how they're being witnesses in Jerusalem. Chapter eight to 12 is how they're being witnesses in then Judea and Samaria. And then chapter 13 onwards is how they are being witnesses to the ends of the earth, the rest of the world at that time. And I want to submit to you that this is really the picture he's giving us is, is the book of Acts is the age we're living in. And, and this is what he wants us to do. It starts small and it gets bigger and bigger and bigger. It grows to the ends of the earth. And when the and the scripture is saying also in another place, it is written when the word reaches to the ends of the earth, that is when he will be coming back. OK, so you you want to be focusing on on what he told you to do as you prepare for his return. OK, so let's read on verse nine. And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing up into heaven, as he went, behold, two men stood up by them in white robes and said, men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? <laughs> this is kind of funny. This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come the same way you saw him go. OK, it's kind of like, you know, I just I just imagined this like Yeshua is ascending and there can't I mean, I could just imagine what that must have looked like. I, I, you know, it must have been amazing. 
and they're kind of their jaws are dropping and they're kind of looking at him ascend and he ascends up until he basically disappears into the clouds and then they're probably just kind of like standing there like in shock like staring you know that's what it says happening and 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 then the, the, the angel comes right and says why do you just stand there looking into heaven <laughs> he is going to come the same way he went oh i love that like they're 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 saying don't worry don't just stare into heaven. He's coming back and everything's going to be all right. It's going to be great, right? And, you know, I, I think that this is import, an important little point here, a little nugget here. He, we just talked about all these things that he told us to do, right? These these instructions of, 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 of what it looks like for a believer, that there's these supernatural things that will follow their life and and that there's this commission to go to the ends of the earth, right? You have you have all these very important things happen that that's supposed to happen. And then um he's he's now telling us, okay, but he's gonna come back the way he came. And when he comes back, he may come back with the question that he left us with. You know, he went and he's telling us, I'm giving you this commission to go into the world. And he ascends. And then the angels come and tell us, hey, he's going to come back the same way. And so when he comes back the same way at that same place, he may just ask the same question again. Okay, I, I told you to go now that you've, uh, you know, the, all these, this time has passed. Now I'm back at the same place where I ascended, I descended. What did you do with what I told you when I was here the last time? Yeah, it's, it's wonderful. It's amazing. All right. And, and so will he find you staring into heaven? Yeah, that, this is really the question because the disciples were staring into heaven. And then the angel had to come and say, okay, guys, don't just stare into heaven. Now, remember, he's going to come back. Do what he told you to do as he left. Is he going to find us staring into heaven? Just thinking, oh, when is he going to come back? Oh, Jesus, just come back. Oh, Jesus. Jesus, I, I, I want you, I, and you study about that and you wonder about that. And, and, and you know, that, that's, that is important. But will you do what he told you to do? That's really, I think, what's being illustrated here. And, you know, it makes us think about the, the ten virgins, right? Um, who had their uh, oil that they needed to have, the Holy Spirit. They had to have the light, but see, the scriptures also tells us, Yeshua also told us, it's not just enough to have a light. You can have the Holy Spirit. You can have a light. You can have your, light, your lamp lit. But don't hide it under a basket. See, that's, that's the other thing. Is don't be ashamed of what you've received. Okay. So uh, let's read on Acts 2 verse 1. So we just finished the first chapter, and now we're going to do chapter two in the, in the rest of this teaching. So this is probably the most important chapter in, the, in this book. So let's dive in. When the day of Pentecost arrived. Okay, Pentecost, by the way, is a biblical feast day. It wasn't invented in the book of Acts chapter two. It's the feast of Shavuot, a, a biblical feast given in the Torah, in your Old Testament, that Israel has been keeping every year, including here. And where would they be keeping this? At the temple. Okay. So 
the day of Pentecost arrives, they were all together in one place because that's what you do on the feast. You go to the temple and into Jerusalem in one place to celebrate the feast. That's what they were all doing. That's why they were together. That's what uh, the biblical feasts are for. And if you don't know about the biblical feast and you're watching this, I encourage you to go check out my biblical feast days a playlist. I have a, a, a teaching on each of the biblical feasts. All right. So. Verse two, and suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting and divided tongues as a far appeared to them and rested on each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Okay, well, this let's just stop right there for a second. Um, okay, so you, if you're reading this and you've you've read Mount the Mount Sinai experience before in the book of Exodus, you will suddenly realize a few connections. You will find that there's when they were when God was on the mountain at Mount Sinai after He brought them out of um, Egypt, there's all these things that happened: thunder, mighty winds, and lightnings, and sounds, and trumpets and you know all this it was crazy as god descended upon the mountain and now we're seeing a mighty rushing wind divided tongues as fire just like mount sinai was a burning mountain we have these this fire appearing and resting on them and they were filled with the spirit and began to speak in tongues it says okay so this is an interesting aspect because on mount sinai the people weren't they were very afraid they said even Moses was afraid. Oh, we don't want to go near the mountain. We're, and, and you know that as the spirit of God descended upon the mountain. But now the spirit of God descends upon this mountain because this is on Mount Zion. Okay, uh, first it was on Mount Sinai. Now Mount Zion, we have the Holy Spirit descend again, and now He lands on people. See, before people could not be filled. He could well. Let me say it like this: He could not land inside people and enter the temples of people the way that he did before. In fact, God told Israel, "Don't come near the mountain, because if you touch the mountain, you'll die." Okay, so now something else is happening because now the Spirit is coming in and entering them. It's amazing, right? Well, what changed? What's what's special? What's different? Is what's because I've heard people say nothing has changed. You know, the Old Testament people they could have the Holy Spirit just the way we do, but it seems like there's something going on. Moses even says in, in Numbers eleven twenty nine, "Are you jealous for my sake? Would that I would that all the Lord's people were prophets that the Lord would put His Spirit on them." Right, Moses, in his time. Look to the, a future time and event where he would, he was hoping that the Holy Spirit would be coming upon all the Lord's people, not just on certain uh, individuals here or there, um, and and like uh, you know certain elders received him, and certain prophets received the Holy Spirit in that way, where he was inside of them or, or on them. Let me say rather, um, uh, uh, you know, but he says Moses says I'm looking for a time to a day. I'm hoping for one day the Spirit's God would, God's Spirit would come upon all His people. The amazing thing of what was actually happening here is that Yeshua was building that temple that He has always been setting out to do. You see, we have our Levitical temple, which you think about when you hear the word temple, 
And that was always a picture of something that God was working towards. And that is to really make the temple you. Because ultimately the temple, even in the, you know, the Levitical temple in your Torah, you will find that inside of it, it was decorated like a garden, right? And then when you look at the veil, the veil has these angels on it, just like the angels that were set before the gates of the Garden of Eden when they were kicked out. And so the, you see now that the temple in interior is a picture of the garden and we are all outside. And that's what the Levitical system is all about. It's showing us the picture of how we're outside and we come, can't come into the Holy of Holies as people because of our sin. And that's a massive problem, right? We're separated from the spirit of God and beyond the veil. We're separated from even the truth beyond the veil because we can't really keep it, even though we know what it is. But now something happened, right? Uh, Yeshua cried out with a loud voice as he breathed his last on the cross. And then we see that this amazing thing happened where the veil was torn at, uh, on the, at the temple, right, in Jerusalem. And that is a picture of now how the Holy Spirit is no longer restricted to be beyond the veil, but can now enter our temples as people. We, he can enter us, fill us because we are made clean. You see, this is huge because it means that that he, Yeshua didn't just die to get us into heaven. You know, that's what we always preach, but that's not even half of it. He died so that the veil can be torn, so that the Holy Spirit can enter you, so you can become all that Christ has always desired for you to become. That is an ambassador of him. That is someone who can walk as he walked, not just, oh, that's Jesus. Yeah, Jesus, he was Jesus. That's why he did all the things he could do, all the things he could do. No, his message was actually, you will do the things that I did and greater things. That was what he said. And people, oh, no, that just that's because, you know, we work together. And that's what he meant by that. And that's true. It is because we're in a body of believers. We can do a lot and we can work together. But it also refers to how, as individuals, we can walk in the things he walked. We can also cause our demons. We can also heal the sick. We can, all, we can do all the things that he and his disciples did. Okay, that, that, that's kind of what, what he, this is, because this is what he is saying. It is good that I go so that the Holy Spirit can descend. That's why he left. He left because he wanted to leave the mission for us to continue. That's an honor. I am honored. I am glad. Rejoice. Hallelujah. That he didn't just, I mean, he trusted us so much with this thing that he's like, hey, look, I can right now come and end it all. Like when he came the first time, he could have set up his kingdom in Jerusalem. He could have been like, okay, who you guys are believers, you're believers, and that's it. Let's just, let's just get this show on the road. But he, he didn't. He said, I'm leaving because I'm going to send my spirit upon you and I want to work through all of you and I want to continue in you what I was doing myself. Like, wow. Now, what does that look like for us? What does that mean for us, right? Okay, so now, before, like I mentioned, the Torah, we 
see people who had the Holy Spirit here and there, touch, work through them. Someone had a vision here. Someone had a dream there, a prophet or so on. But this was a rare instance. Okay, This was a rare thing that happened. But now the Holy Spirit comes upon all of these people at the Feast of uh, Shavuot, Pentecost, and we see that they all speak in tongues. You know, we see that there's this there's this moving of the, the far falling on them. And ultimately, this is such an amazing thing that happens that there's 3000 people that day that gets baptized. And this is in contrast to the 3000 at um, the base of Mount Sinai who perished when they built the golden calf. You see another parallel? Very interesting. And so Peter eventually gets up, right? After these people are are speaking in tongues and all of this is happening, and he starts telling them and reminding them, hey guys, look, these people who are speaking in tongues, they're not drunk because there were people in the room that said they're drunk. Yeah, that's what happens when you speak in tongues. And that's the first reaction that we see towards speaking in tongues the first time it ever happens is people criticized it. Just like today, many people criticize the gift. They don't like it. Okay, so that happens. Peter gets up and he says, these men are drunk. And he explains what happened. And he refers to a prophecy by the prophet Joel. And he says, Joel talked about a time when there will be people who will do all these wonderful things or it would happen to them. And Joel 2.28, and it shall come to pass afterward, I will pour up my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and daughters will prophesy, old men dream dreams and young men see visions. I will even on the servants pour out my spirit, he says, and I will show wonders in the heavens and on the earth, blood and fire and calms of smoke. Okay, so this is amazing because we're seeing that He's talking about this, these things that will happen, Joel. And he's saying that there will be prophecy, visions, and dreams, and wonders upon the earth. Like, And this is the start of it. We're seeing in Acts 2 happening now. And, and this is supposed to be carrying forward. This is supposed to be what is happening in, our, in, in the lives of believers. And so I guess the question we have to ask ourselves at this point is, well, is prophecy, dreams, or visions something that I've ever encountered? Like, is this something that's really happening in my life? Is this is something that has happened in the lives of people around me? Is and and why not if not? Because in the Bible, the prophecy says this will happen. It, it says it shall come to pass. It will happen. So, oh, did Wikipedia just happened for you know that little. You know, those few chapters in the book of Acts, and, and then it stopped, don't you know? Well, really? We don't need that anymore? Like, I think we do. Okay. Um, so let's read on. Acts 2, verse 5. Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And at this sound, the multitude came together and they were bewildered because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. And they were amazed and astonished, saying, Are not all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear each of us in his own native language? Verse 13, But others mockingly said they're filled with new wine. Okay, as like I mentioned earlier. Now, you know, it's kind of interesting speaking in tongues here for the first time. 
um, illustrated to us. And we see that there's this this one aspect of the gift that is shown. And many people point to this and say, see, this is what speaking in tongues is supposed to look like. And that's true. Men speaking and they are um, speaking in tongues, a language they themselves do not understand. In other words, so they, they're speaking out because they the Spirit comes upon them and, and fills them. And, and this just comes out of them. They bubble up and, and the Spirit speaks. And the, the Spirit, as they just speak, starts moving their mouth and their language changes into a language that is an earthly language. But they start with this step of faith of just, Lord, we want this, we need this. And, and it changes. And then there's people in the audience who hears this and they're like, that's my language. How does he know my language? Right? And this is the amazing miracle that happens. And, and people are looking at each other like, wow, like, what happened here? Okay. And this is a really, when you think about why God did this, we have now a picture of the curse of Babel, where the languages were, you know, basically split. You know, God, the people were growing in unity over that which is ungodly and evil. And they were building this Tower of Babel and he split their languages. Okay. And now people are in disunity. But this is obviously a problem when it comes to trying to get people to gather for the gospel because the gospel needs to bring people together. The gospel needs to be proclaimed to all the nations. But if all the nations are in disunity, how are you going to? Proclaim the gospel. And so this is what God does. He gives us a spiritual gift of speaking in tongues. He says that those who speak in tongues, basically, will be able to cross this barrier. They won't be held back by the curse of Babel. The curse of Babel is broken. Amen. That's like what's happening here. The curse of Babel is being broken for those who are walking in the spirit and specifically speaking in tongues in this case. And these people will be in unity. They will be all together, like they came together to celebrate the feast of uh, Shavuot at Pentecost here. They will continue to celebrate these feasts because that's what's assumed. We're going to be celebrating the biblical feast that God said is forever. And as they continue in this unity of celebrating the feast, because these feasts are to bring about unity, they there will be a, a, a reversing of the curse. In other words, there will be a unity now that's created because these people are not in unity over what is unrighteous like Babel, but they will be in unity over righteousness. That is the gospel, the truth of God. Speaking in tongues is a large topic, and I really encourage you to watch my Speaking in Tongues series. There's a part one and a part two where I delve deep into what speaking in tongues is all about. We don't have time to delve too deep into it today, but please look at that if you're interested. We now see this miracle occur, right? And as it does, it draws these people in. They're like, what is going on here? They just, I'm hearing men speaking in my own tongue and they're not supposed to. And what's going on? And, and Peter gets up and he says in this speech, right, where I talked about how he quoted Joel and he also said this. Let all the house of Israel know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. Now, when they heard this, they were cut to the heart 
and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Yeshua the Messiah for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Okay, so he says, You crucified him by your sins, right? We as humanity put him on the cross. He died for our sins, but he was pierced for our transgressions, right? Remember that spear that went through his side and we have the blood and the water that came out. The blood is a picture of the remission of our sins. Okay, his blood is spilled to to make us clean. And the water that came out is a picture of the living waters where he says out of his belly will flow rivers of living waters. And whoever believes in him from him, he will become a vessel, a river flying with living waters too. the living waters flowing from him and then flowing from us. If we believe in him is the Holy Spirit. OK, so he was cut, pierced, if you will. Um, and now he does this miracle by the water that comes out of him. This water is poured. The living water is poured upon this congregation of people. And then they get hungry and they get pierced themselves. How interesting. Yeshua's pierced. The water comes out. The people are, are, are encounter that water, that spirit of God. And they are pierced. Now they are cut to the heart, it says. And they ask, they ask what, what should we do with this? Right. And Peter, he comes and he tells him, you will, you will now repent. You will get baptized and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Okay. Three steps. In other words, you can't get baptized without repentance. Because repent Get baptized. Okay. So first off, we realize we must repent in order for our baptism to be legit. Because if you don't repent, then what is a baptism really? Because a baptism is an act of repentance, right? And then and then there's baptism in water. And then there's baptism of the Holy Spirit. Two separate things. They list these listed them as separate things. Please go have a look at my baptism and the Holy Spirit and fire teaching for information on the baptism of the Holy Spirit, if you want to learn about that more. And I show you proof texts of how baptism in water and baptism in the Spirit are separate. And just because you believe in Him and have salvation doesn't necessarily mean you are baptized in the Holy Spirit. And Scripture clearly shows that. So please go have a look at that teaching. Um, okay, so now he he he's he's talking about this piercing and the heart that these people had. And I want to submit to you that this is a picture of how we must receive heart surgery from God. Right? This is a picture of how we must um, receive a new heart. And this is what he is saying in Ezekiel 36, 26. He says the prophet prophesied over this coming day in Acts 2. And he says there will come a day where I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put in you. 
And I'll remove the heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. See, they were cut to the heart and they needed a new one. So what does this mean to remove the heart of stone and to receive a heart of flesh? So this heart of stone is what we all have before we receive the heart of flesh. The heart of stone is kind of like you can think about the stone tablets where the law was initially written on and handed down to Moses. That's really a picture. In some ways, we can receive those laws written on stone like Israel did. They received it from Mount Sinai. They heard it. They desired in their hearts to keep it. But it didn't last long until they failed. And then they didn't last long to fail again. And they didn't last long and they failed again. It's kind of like they they wanted to really keep it, but they had the knowledge about it, but it's like they couldn't. It's almost like the stone tablets were locked behind that veil in the temple where they could not reach it. That's exactly what happened. But now he says, see, so, um, one more thing on that on that heart is that a stone heart is one that it receives, it, 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 you know the law and you can easily become very, self-righteous and a pointing of a finger kind of person like this certain Pharisees in the first century who knew the law but didn't keep it themselves. They were hypocrites. Okay, This is what a stone heart faces. This is the problem of a stone heart. But he says, I'm taking that out. I'm giving you a heart of flesh. The Holy Spirit cannot indwell a rock. It needs life. It needs to indwell a living heart. So it can't indwell your living your your stone heart. So now you get a new heart, the heart of flesh that's alive, and the Holy Spirit comes and He indwells it. And this new heart that we receive as we receive the Holy Spirit is a heart that has mercy, forgiveness on others because we know the forgiveness and mercy He showed us when He was on the cross when He said, "Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do." And now finally, we get to understand that our, that that we can get to this place of worship in spirit and truth that the that Yeshua told that Samaritan women will one day be realized. Now for the first time with this new heart, it can happen. And this means that we have now access to the spirit beyond the veil. We have access to the truth beyond the veil. We can now not only know the truth, but we can actually keep it because the spirit inside of us empowers us to do it. And we have mercy on others now because of that. Okay, so brothers and sisters, this is very powerful. As you can see that there is a big shift that happened starting in the book of Acts chapter 2. Something that has never happened in the history of the world happened here, where God came with his spirit and indwelled, started indwelling all people who would allow him instead of a select few. And instead of us being at enmity with God, he restored that relationship. And so his spirit can now have a relationship with us like never before. And we're going to continue in this series as we head on to discover now What does that actually mean? What does that actually practically look like in our lives? So as I end this part of it off, uh, I want to read the last few verses in the book of Acts chapter 2. 
Because over here, there are certain things that are keys for a healthy fellowship. And I want you to listen to these and ask yourself, are these things being practically, actively practiced in my life? Okay, Acts 2.42. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And we and all came upon every soul and many wonders and signs were being done to the apostles and all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with food with glad and generous hearts, praising God, having favor with people. And the result of all of this, and the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. So we see this interesting list of things that are given to us. And the result of doing them for the first century early church was that we're being people added to this church day by day. If we, as a denomination, a movement, a people, um, whatever you want to call yourself, group, if you desire people to come and join the fellowship of the saints at an unprecedented level, like the early church did, these are some of the things that need to be practiced. So what was this list? Okay, teaching. Number one was listed. Teaching what? There are many things that we can teach. Okay, We can teach... Um, we can talk about a lot of things. We can teach about a lot of things. You can turn on the news and they'll talk about a lot of things. You can, you can, okay. And there's a lot of biblical things even to talk about that are good and wonderful. But they had a special focus also, not just on studying the Torah and the prophets, but on proclaiming the gospel frequently and often. Because it is the good news of the resurrection of the Messiah, his death, and the outpouring of the Holy Spirit and the salvation available to all, that is the solution to the world's problems, the solution to people's bondages. And this was at the forefront of their teaching. And that must be at the forefront of our teaching. You, you, if you have sermons and if you have teachings and you have discussions, but you do not discuss the salvation and the simple gospel, if the gospel becomes boring you will struggle to see new people come in. Okay, that's the first thing. Number two, fellowship is, is mentioned. There was a fellowship oftentimes of getting together, community oftentimes happening. Okay, so we see that it is important for, for fellowship to happen. Just watching YouTube videos, just just um, studying the Bible alone is not, is not enough. You would really if at all possible, of course, I understand if you're in a persecuted country where it is not possible, that's one thing. But if it is possible, like in America or like in many of the countries of freedom in the Western world, fellowship is important. Okay. Um, next, what we see is the breaking of bread. Now, this is interesting. We see, you know, teaching, fellowship, prayer, all these things which are like, Staples, and then it, he just throws in, oh, and the, there was the breaking of bread. 
How will breaking bread help me get more healthy in my spiritual life? Like, what is up with that? I I personally believe that this referred to what Yeshua talked to his disciples about at what we know as the Last Supper. He broke the bread and he said, this is my body. He he provided the wine, he drank, they drank the wine, this is my blood. There was a, and he said, do this remembrance of me. When you come together, when you have this fellowship, you need to remember me and you need to do this in remembrance of me. And there's a very deep thing happening when we do that breaking of bread. Um, a very spiritual thing that happens inside of us. And um, I think that that remembrance of Christ needs to always be brought in. So if that is absent, if that's not happening, as Yeshua said, as often as you come together, as often as you do this, then that's something we really need to look into. Okay, next, prayer is mentioned. Now, prayer is interesting. Um, it, I think it refers to two things. Private, of course, which is a lacking thing in most of the Western world of Christianity, at least, if not all, but especially the Western world, prayer, private life prayer is is something that many people struggle with. How much time do you spend every day with you and the Lord on your knees in your prayer closet, just you and him talking like no one else, nothing else, nothing distracting. How much do you actually set time aside for him every day? Or is he kind of like the five minutes before you fall asleep kind of Okay, God, thanks for today. I'll see you tomorrow. Is that how we pray? Or is it intentional? Is it time set aside? And then secondly, prayer for each other. When you are now in that fellowship with other believers, do you pray for others? When someone comes to do you ask, is there anything we can pray for for each other? And then let someone say what their need is. And don't just say, okay, I'll go home and I'll pray for you. No, no I think that prayer is something that is an act of faith. And that means that we don't just go and we run home and pray. That's great. Go go and, and, and pray at home for people. I'm not saying we don't. But I'm saying that an actual prayer, a, a prayer of faith, is when there is someone in front of you with a need. And you say, let me pray for you right now. Let me right now come to you and let me let me ask. Let me, let's pray. Let's lay hands. Let's anoint with oil like the scriptures say. Let's pray. That's what we see happen in the scriptures. Because that's an expression of love that will that will bring your congregation closer to each other than ever. Congregations often break up. Brother, sister, listen to me. Congregations often break up. Fellowships fall apart because this is not exercised. Because they don't pray for one another. They don't even know one another. Because through prayer, they start realizing, wow, I started realizing who this person next to me is. And, and oh, I started realizing what this person's what this person's needs and difficulties are. And I'm going to be there for this person. And I'm going to, you know, this happens when we force our congregants to look to one another and start praying for one another. Very important. And very lacking, I found in many congregations. Okay, um, the next thing that his he listed is our signs and wonders. Now, this is an interesting one because he signs and wonders. 
as we mentioned, was very important for the confirmation of the message. And so today, it serves that same pur purpose. It draws unbelievers in because just like when someone speaks in tongues and there is an interpreter in the room, they interpret the message and it's for a, an unbeliever who's in the room that no one really knows and he hears it and it speaks to his heart and he falls down on his face and he repents. Or someone receives a prophetic word or a word of knowledge. There's someone in this room that this and this and this is going on in their life and the Lord says this and that unbeliever hears it and they fall on their face and repent before God. I have seen that happen. That's what is supposed to happen. That is what we see in the book of Acts. Paul even described this in the book of Corinthians, how he, when he speaks about, for example, the gift of speaking in tongues, he explains these things are what happen. Okay, so signs and wonders are very important. And then we have the gift of healing and, and all the signs and wonders, all the spiritual gifts um, all have their own specific niche purpose in the kingdom and all of them are important and we all have our gifts that we need to seek out right earnestly seek them like paul said then we have selling possessions they sold their possessions amongst themselves for each other there was a great act of generosity happening in the early church that was amazing people were imagine imagine for a second Think of something that you know you own, an asset that that's valuable, and you see a need in a brother or sister next to you, and you're like, you know what? I'm gonna sell this. I'm gonna take the money. I'm gonna give it to you because that's what I believe Yeshua would do. Like, uh, can you imagine that? Like, imagine how beautiful that is, and how pleasing to our Father that is, and especially when we don't do that for a show, don't do that for others to see you, but just do it in silence. You know, just let the other person know about it. Let them see but that's so beautiful and precious. And, you know, that was the responsibility of the temple priesthood, according to Torah, you know, and in the first century, that temple priesthood weren't fulfilling that duty. And so, but you are a priest of your temple, offering sacrifices to the Lord, you being even a living sacrifice yourself. And you are supposed to be looking after the widow, the orphan, the suffering and sowing into God's kingdom in whichever way that he leads you to. Okay. Okay. Then the last two of which is thankfulness. It says that they were thankful. They were people that were very thankful. They had glad and generous hearts receiving their food that way. How thankful are you? How glad are you? Every day I look upon my life. I look upon all the blessings I have and I just thank you, Lord. Thank you, God. Thank you, Lord. I don't deserve any of what you've given me, but yet you died for me. I don't deserve that. I don't even deserve to be able to praise you. Like that's that's how it is, man. I, I'm a man of unclean lips, but yet he did things for me and he even sent his Holy Spirit to live inside of me. Like, oh my goodness, that's beyond imagination. I can't believe it even to this point still. How and you know, when you're thankful in this way, it's really hard to become bitter over what you don't have and jealous and and all these these horrible things that come upon us and and and, and um, greediness and, and all these things. When you know what the Father has given you and you know that you don't deserve it, it's just like, wow, God, I that's such an honor. And so very important. Um, and then the last thing it says that they did is they were praising God. So they lived a life of praise, praising the Father. 
you know, so brothers and sisters, you know, we just talked about eight different things, keys, if you will, to a healthy fellowship, a healthy body of Christ. And if we want to have people look at the body of Christ and be like, I, I need that. I want that. I want to be like a part of that. Then we need to have these things mature in our lives as individuals. And then as we do that as individuals, we draw near to each other. It matures in the body as a whole. And I want to submit to you that we have been seeing not enough people come into faith. I believe that the Father wants to do something in this end time spirit and truth outpouring that we are witnessing today. But it's going to need us to get these basic foundational aspects of our lives in order. I'm going to be creating a PDF that I'm going to be putting in the description of this video. Please go there and download it. Go take this, print it out, put it on your fridge, put it, put it somewhere where you're going to see it and put some checkboxes next to it and check off as you work on each of those things in your life. Ask yourself, how is my prayer life? I'm going to start setting aside time for prayer. And then when you do that for a few weeks, you check that off. Lord, I thank you, God. And then you go, OK, um, have I sold a possession to give to someone like that would be amazing, right? OK, go and do that once and check that off and, and make these things not just a checklist, but something that you start making part of your lifestyle. And as it becomes part of your lifestyle, you will see up. I promise you, because and I can say I promise you, because the Bible tells us so. When we see this, we will see the results that the early church saw. They added to their number day by day those who were being saved. So go and download it. And um, I'll see you guys in the next episode of the Book of Acts series. Subscribe to this channel to be informed on when the next ones come out. Please share this video and go to our website and sign up for our newsletter to stay up to date with the latest Rise on Fire videos. All right, I'll see you guys in the next one. Many blessings and shalom.